Nadine Cherry, welcome to Down 40 Love. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. What is mindfulness? Jumping right in. Uh, mindfulness is living and knowing you're living. Living and knowing you're living. It's awareness. It's being here now and knowing it. Being present for your moments. It's, if you want to get technical on the definition by John Kabat-Zinn, who is the godfather of mindfulness, he describes it as the awareness arising when you pay attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. So the thing with mindfulness is you can incorporate it anytime, anywhere. You can practice mindfulness right now here with me sitting, being present, non-judgmental, aware. You can practice it while you're brushing your teeth. You can practice it in the shower, having a conversation. You can practice it while you're playing tennis. So it's an active state. Tell us a little bit about your story with mindfulness and, and how you've gotten into the business, so to speak. Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, I got into it like many mindfulness teachers from a place of despair and pain and suffering. Personally, I was four years into my 18-year corporate hustle, my sales job, my day job, which I loved. And at the time for those first four years, I was grinding myself to the bone, trying to prove myself to myself, my family, the world, you know how it is. I got to get this job and get my name at the top of the list. And I was really good at hustling. I was just missing my life. I was so focused on the awards and the accolades and the numbers if it didn't have to do with business, I wasn't interested. So that was my whole <laughs> world for the first four years. It was exhausting. I thought I was cool, but I was really just an egomaniac. And then my world came to a screeching halt. I got the phone call that everyone dreads about a family member being sick. And in my case, it was about my mom my best friend in the world. And I had never had any experience with illness in my family. So it hit extra hard. And that was that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that moment, nothing else mattered anymore. The success, the fame I was chasing, all the future fantasies weren't important. And I went in automatic mode. I went to St. Louis where I'm from. As you know, we did that. You know, when somebody gets sick and you just go into this kind of militant, let's get the surgery done. Let's do the doctor's appointments. You're not really emotionally processing anything. So we got through <laughs> it all. And thank goodness, I'm so grateful every day to say she was able to survive the cancer. Unfortunately, I've had many instances that weren't so great since then with other family members, but my mom made it through, thank goodness. And afterward, after I got back to Chicago, I was just left confused, lonely down, all those things, kind of going through a three-week haze, maybe a couple months of just 
down. And I had a client and a friend at the same time suggest, hey, have you ever tried meditation? And I was like, did you use medication? <laughs> you know, what have you got? I'm down for that. And they're like, no meditation. I was like, so desperate, Renee, that I gave it a try because I was so lost. And I thought it was a coincidence that they both said it at the same time. So I started reading a book about it and then I started practicing it. And they were talking about concepts that I wanted to feel. I wanted to feel more present in my life. I wanted to feel like I was occupying and taking agency over my thoughts and my experience, but I didn't know how to do that. And they talked about meditation as the way. So I started practicing it every day and going on retreats by myself and really diving in. And I started to notice all these benefits of noticing things I had never before, like beautiful nature that was like clouds were never something I looked at. Flowers were never something I looked at. Or even a person passing me on the street trying to smile at me and get my attention. But I was like, you know, and it felt like I was slowing down and taking in life, yet I was getting more done. And the conversations I was having were more rich. They were deeper with clients, with friends, with family. I was genuinely curious. It wasn't about my own self-interest. And then the craziest thing of all happened, and that was that my sales at work doubled the same exact year that I started practicing meditation. And my leaders were like, uh, what's up with you, girl? How are you doing this? I'm like, well, I'm doing nothing. I'm sitting quietly in stillness and I'm just meditating. They're like, okay, weirdo, but keep going. <laughs> so I did keep going and I went on to win the top award, the President's Achievement Award, four times at my company out of thousands of sellers. And I attribute the win, the success to this daily practice of meditation, of tuning in, becoming more aware, clear, connecting deeper. It was able, I was able to put the dots together, solve more problems, think outside of the box. My mind was open, but really I was able to, um, bring my whole self to work. I felt like I was leaving a lot of who I truly was at work. And when you meditate, you reconnect with your most authentic self. And when you're authentic at work, you attract stuff, you attract people, you attract opportunities, you attract business and people want to be around real people. So that's what was really going on. And so I started, I'll wrap up the question, but I started I wanted to share this practice. I felt like certainly there couldn't, there had to be more people out there, more employees that were feeling stressed out, disconnected from themselves, like it couldn't be authentic at work. So I rounded up several people in a conference room, just three people I was like, Hey, you guys want to try something? They're like, sure. And I didn't know what I was doing. And they were like, as long as it's not another boring sales training, I'm down. So I started leading them through meditations once a week and they loved it. And the group started to grow. And today I'm so proud to share that it's over 750 people in this community that I created, this meditation community at this Fortune 500 tech company. Um, and then those leaders that were kind of like, hey, weirdo, or like, hey, will you come speak to my team about mindfulness and lead us through meditations and help us cultivate calmness and clarity and compassion for ourselves. So now I get to work. I left my sales job. 
I still was hired back by that company, CDW, but now I get to work with employees all over the world, companies all over, Microsoft, Pricewaterhouse, Deloitte, Salesforce, um, and help their employees tap into their inner peace and outer performance through meditation. So do you find that the corporate community is open to mindfulness practices or you, what have been some of the obstacles that you've had to, to, um, to overcome as an entrepreneur? Not just open, but desperate for it. They're looking for another way. They're burnt out. They're stressed out. They keep ask, getting asked more of them, more of them to contribute, be more productive. And, you know, we either go into freeze, fight, flight mode when those things happen and we really can't create our best work. So most often when I share my story, when I'm sharing my curriculum, what I'm offering, my workshops and my series, people are like, oh, sign us up immediately. Um, in terms of obstacles, you know, I think that there's always the people out there that have their preconceived notions about meditation. But often they tried meditation on their own using some app or some practice. Maybe they didn't stick with it for whatever reason, or it didn't connect with them for whatever reason. A lot of the, the biggest obstacle I hear is I have thoughts. Well, that's normal. That's the whole point of the practice to relate differently to our thoughts. And so what I say to that is, have you ever tried meditating in community? Because when I started meditating with a group, it completely changed the experience. You feel a shared connection and support amongst the group, even virtually, it's wild. It's almost more intimate than it would be face-to-face -face sometimes. So a lot of times, so those are a few of the obstacles. And then once people try it out, they're hooked. And the coolest thing that I see happen, two really cool things. The first one is it brings out the authentic gifts of people. So for example, there's one woman in my community and she's like, Ooh, you know, I've always been interested in Qigong, which is another well-being practice. So I gave her the platform of our meditation community to practice it. She just taught a master class at the company as well. So, she, you know, it's really bringing forward people's authentic gifts and allowing them to share who they truly are, which is a service to the world and the company. Um, the other really cool thing that happens in community is that you get different parts of the organization talking to each other as human beings. So like when I was in sales, and I had to work with someone in credit, it was always contentious. But now we're meditating together and meditation is rooted in compassion and calmness. So it's like, I see you as a human being trying to do your job the best you can. I don't see you as someone out to get me and it shifts everything. So now we're not working as competitors, we're working as collaborators with the same shared vision. And that's just really great morale for the company, something that's difficult right now for a lot of companies. Yeah, you um, you triggered a thought, um, like in sports, for example, 
the coach athlete relationship. I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of tension there because the coach is pushing you, you know, the athlete to do things that are outside of your comfort zone, but the coaches that can communicate and convey that they see the human being first or the student first, you know, in my position as a college coach, those are the coaches that tend to find the most success and build the best kind of relationships. And that's what it sounds like you're describing here. It's exactly it. It's no surprise. That's why the second C of my three C's practice to inner peace and outer performance is compassion. The first C is calmness. First, just becoming aware so much of so many of us are out of touch of our degree of calmness. We're stressed and we don't know we're stressed. And the more we're stressed, the chronic stress can create a long-term illness. We can't make good decisions that way. So working on that, becoming aware of that is the number one step, number one C of calmness. The second C is compassion. And it's so crucial, Renee, just like you said, because if the player is mentally hijacked by what the coach said and feels like it's an attack, they're not going to perform their best. Just like if any employee feels like, oh, my manager hates my guts because they just told me that. Compassion opens you up in a new way. Compassion is our ability to be with our feelings of inadequacy, our deepest struggles in a way that cultivates patience and understanding. And so the first step is cultivating that towards ourselves. Like, oh, you know what? I have some insecurities, some weaknesses, some feelings of inadequacy and not judging that. Like, can I hold the space for myself to have those things as a normal human being? Okay, okay, it's not so bad. We're already freeing up mental real estate to focus on, you know, the task at hand. And then the extension of that compassion is recognizing like, oh my gosh, my manager, my coach also has those same feelings. He or she or they are also a normal human being with stuff, stuff that I don't know about. <laughs> and we share the same vision, the desire to win. So what if I just came from it from that place of understanding? They want me to win too. They're not out to get me. They just want, we want the same thing. Our just, our past is presenting itself in different ways. Ah, okay. Okay. It changes everything. So that's why that's the third C, compassion. Excuse me, the second oh, that's C. that's the second third, C. Yeah. Yes, the second C. The third C, after we're calm and when we become compassionate, oh my gosh, the world opens up and the third C becomes clarity. We gain insights. Our intuition starts presenting itself, that inner knowing, that guidance that tells us, swing this way, swing that way. We're not in our head. We're, we're in our greatness. We're in our gifts. We're in our essence. And that's when clarity comes through, clarity on who we are. And the next big idea and the next problem we're solving, right? So that's the third C, giving space to, for clarity, calmness, compassion, and clarity. That's what I teach 
Um, and then you become unstoppable. You know, when you're not operating in a heightened state, when you're uncalm, when you're not beating yourself up, and when you're able to think clearly, we can do anything. It sounds like you, you bring the yin to the yang, you know, the the calmness that every high achiever and every top performer needs to balance things out because it's obvious that you're a high performer, you know, and you've been since day one. And maybe you were even when you were a Hoosier at Indiana university, you like that plug. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it's like, it's like the old saying, you know, sometimes our great strengths are also, you know, our biggest barriers and, and biggest weaknesses. And it sounds like you've really come up with uh, a solid philosophy and a system um, that will help anybody who wants to maximize their potential do so in a, in a happier, more joyful way, which creates longevity, you know, and relevance, you know, not only in your work, but in your life. Um, so I have a question, uh, how does meditation help us turn adversity into competitive advantage and in, in what ways can becoming more mindful help us become more resilient in our lives and work? Mm -hmm. So when we practice meditation, we're able to observe our thoughts without becoming them. So when you're playing tennis, if you are over-identified with that last game that you lost and the I am becomes, I am a bad player, then the next game you see that present itself. It plays out that way. In meditation, you're able to create a distance between that thought, notice it, and becoming it. You can notice it like an observer just recording data with a neutral lens. You can see it, but not attach to it. You loosen your grip to it. So you let it pass by, if you will, or you take it just as inner observation. So in that sense, you've seen, I'm sure, the players who have thoughts of, greatness or belief in themselves and they play that way right so that's how being mindful can create stronger resilience we're not held back by our limiting beliefs we don't believe all of our thoughts we don't have to believe it i just was preparing with my public speaking coach for 2 hours and i did my first run through of a presentation I'm giving next week with a new deck. And there were a couple of times where I lost my wording or I forgot the point I was going to make. And through the practice, instead of saying, you suck, you're going to bomb it next week. I was saying, I was able to take a neutral approach to myself, hold myself with that compassion. Ah, okay, I see this is here. 
noted and move on. I'm not held back. I'm not stuck. I'm more fluid and flexible, which lends to a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So I would say meditation and mindfulness allows you to become more resilient in that way at work. And are you also saying that um, one of the outcomes of meditation is improving our self-talk? Absolutely. I found that to be true for myself. Like I said, the compassionate part of ourself is really talking to ourself as we would a good friend. That's why it's the second component because we can be super calm, but if we're talking to ourselves and that inner critic is coming out and judging us, we can't go past there to our greatness. We can't get the clarity in step three. So it is a sequence. And when you're sitting down in meditation and you're able to witness like that observer, what you're telling yourself, you have more agency on whether or not you want to believe it. You can say, ah, that's a thought about insecurity. Noted. Makes me a normal human being. I don't have to believe it. It's here. I don't have to do anything about it. I could just notice it without becoming it. So yes, it does improve your self-talk. Can you um, define for us the law of detachment um, and just the importance of investing all of your effort into a worthy goal while at the same time you're not identifying so closely with the result, you know, where it ends up detracting from what you can create. Yes. I call that living life with a loose grip. Oh, there's a tennis analogy. Loose yeah. Grip. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. I love that. There you go. Yes. Ready. I'm ready. Put me in coach. <laughs> so if you live life with a tight grip, you're attached so closely to the outcome in anything that is not in alignment with your vision of that particular outcome can throw you off. But if you live life with a loose grip and you're not as attached, you can still have the vision. You can still hold the vision, but you can say this or something better or this, or something else, more possibilities. Something better could happen, right? It could be your vision, or it could be something better. So I like to notice, so for example, with the talk I'm giving again next week, right? I have a vision of how I want that to flow and unfold and the experience I'm creating and the feeling I would like to generate for the audience. But I am have a loose grip knowing there's a million things that could happen. The tech could be messed up. We could be in a different room. My slides could not work. My clicker could not work. Things could happen. I have to be open. And it prepares us more to move there's a meta mindful phrase that says um you know if you can't you know you can't surf where you can learn to ride the way or if you can't stop the waves you can learn to surf right so it allows you to ride the waves of life instead of resisting the ocean 
And um, I think that lends itself to greater possibilities. Talk to us about your goal setting process, because you, you mentioned vision. Mm -hmm. What's the relationship between vision and, and having a goal and then bringing in your expertise, you know, in mindfulness and just making everything work? Super fresh because it's the new year and I just went through all of my goals. Um, so I do set goals. I'm a big believer in goal setting and I break that up into different categories. I break that up into business. I break that up into family, personal community. And I write down my various goals for the year. Um, and then I, that is, and then I have monthly goals as well, you know, for my business and different things I want to accomplish. But for the vision, that is more specific to a performance or a talk or an experience that I'm creating. Um, because again, the vision lends itself more to opening up to anything that could happen. We could be sitting here in this podcast and I have a vision for the awareness I'm trying to support and help you create and the feeling, but you could ask me a totally different question and we could go down a whole new connection level and talk about something completely else. So um, I think both are important elements. So as we wrap up um, our conversation today, you know, for people who are looking to maybe try uh, mindfulness, what would you recommend? Like what's a good start for them? Yeah, I, I say the first start is to become more aware. So one simple exercise that I offer is part one of my calm, right? The calm element of the three C's is rating on a scale of one to 10, your level of calm, maybe multiple times throughout the day. Like I said, so often we are out of touch with what our body is trying to communicate to us. We bury an important conversation we're trying to have, or we're sh we should be having again to free up that mental real estate, or we're judging ourselves and we're realizing it's manifesting in our body somewhere. We're blocked. We have held stress. So just becoming more in tune with, Hey, one being very chill, very relaxed, very calm, and 10 being emotionally heightened, stressed, anxious, what number am I at in this moment? So if you, Renee, had to take a guess for your number, putting you on the spot with one being super chill and relaxed and 10 being not very calm, what number are you at in this moment? Non-judgmentally knowing it could change any day, any moment. Um, I would say I'm around a four. I mean, yeah. I, I do... I meditate daily. Awesome. I've I've downsized from 20 minutes to 10 minutes and it's in complete silence whereas the 20 minutes was a guided and there's music and all of that all of that but for the last couple of years it was such a heavy it felt so heavy having to do 20 minutes a day and I was like this is count, like 
this is not helping me. You know, it was something I wasn't looking forward to. So I am proud of myself. I mean, I've been checking that box off every single day, you know, but the, the top performer in, in me is always go, go, go. I'm very vision and goal driven. So I, that's just not going to stop. And I, I embrace it. You know, I'm not beating myself up as much as I used to, I'd say two, two or three years ago. And I do attribute it to my mindfulness practice and, and meditation and just, you know, keeping that in front of you each, each and every day. And I think being able to, um, to stop and pause, you know, I definitely identify with a lot of what you've, you've talked about today on the podcast in terms of the benefits of med- meditation and how it helps you. What, what's kept me going with the practice is the outcome, you know, because I, I know, and the outcome in terms of when you do face, maybe you're facing um, a lot of irons in the fire that day, or maybe it's just one iron, but the ability to be calm without having to think about it, without it being forced, there's a lot of power there. And that's why I stick with my meditation practice. And I can say, yeah, I'm a four. There's always room for improvement. That's awesome. And it's science, right? There's such a thing called neuroplasticity, meaning our brain changes. It doesn't stay the same. And meditation and mindfulness are proven practices to create new neural pathways and signal to the brain like, hey, default is calm now. It's not freak out when you practice it regularly. And that's the outcome you're seeing. So that's awesome. I love hearing about your connection to meditation and mindfulness in your practice. And choosing that number is judgment-free. I'd say I'm at a six or a seven today. (laughs) I have five irons in the fire. That's just where I'm at. But that's insight and information. Mm -hmm. Now I know what I need to do. After this, I'm going to step away and take a pause, right? Because I know doing that, I'll come back re-energized, reset, rejuvenated for the rest of my day. So, um, you asked a practice to get started and I'd say ranking that calm from one to 10 is takes two seconds and it will give you a lot of information about yourself and what you need. I love it. Nadine, what, what's the legacy that you'd like to leave? I'd like to say to everyone that your inner peace and your top performance, your authentic self, your most clear connected self is on the other side of becoming still and taking a pause and tuning into yourself. The world is going to keep pulling from you and asking of you and our peace, our connectedness is our responsibility. So if I can empower people to pause, to reconnect to their greatness, I'm going to keep doing it. Nadine, thanks so much. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking with you.